0: We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, baby,
3: live around the world at the Internet, on the Internet, in the Internet, at the Internet. You know what I mean. It's the Michael Duke show. Good morning. Welcome to the program. Tuesday edition of the big radio show. And you know what that means. It's time for the, the weekly floggings will continue until morale improves. That's what it's all about today. We're going to dive down deep, 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 deep into the queue here and get into some of the stories that are going on around the state. It is the weekly top three from Brad Keithley from Alaska's four sustainable budgets and we're going to be diving into that with lots of good topics today. Uh, we're also going to have Chris Story come in from On Top of the World Radio. He's going to be joining us in Hour 2 of the program today for our weekly um, triage. It'll be the soothing balm to the uh, to all the bad news and, and uh, stuff we're going to get in Hour 1. It's not really bad news. It's just, you know, it's important stuff that we should be paying attention to. It's just frustrating that's what it is it's frustrating yes i are the internet thank you very much brian i appreciate that anyway uh we're getting ready to go and uh diving right into it this morning uh without further ado let's uh get started we got a lot of stuff to go over and uh so we will bring brad keithley from alaskans for sustainable budgets on board and we will get started hello my friend uh, hello how are you this
1: morning Good morning, Michael. I'm uh, I'm doing great. Uh, that intro every week, I just I, you I just you just I, you know you can't wait. I, I wonder if I want to click it off.
3: <laughs> I know. I you just can't wait because he's going to bring all the pain. Bring all the pain. And uh, you know the thing is, Brad, is you do bring a valuable service here. We talk about these things. It's not always pleasant, but. uh you know, neither is uh, neither is a root canal, but it's needed. So it's needed. So that's what it's all
1: about—the <laughs> root canal of radio. Exactly. I, <laughs> I know this is
3: what we're we're bringing it down to. Uh, so I guess uh, we will. Uh, I guess we'll get things started and get uh, just kick things off. We're going to start off today. There's been a lot of talk about the outflow and migration uh inflow and outflow of migration uh workers from Alaska but the big part is the age groups and uh you wanted to start off with that so let's uh, let's get down into the weeds and uh, and get started on that
1: we've had uh we've had something of a game of uh of telephone you remember the old child's game of telephone oh yeah i i tell you something you tell it to the next person by the time it gets to the last person it's something entirely different from from where it started well we've we're having something of a game of telephone um here uh, in alaska over uh, over what's going on with our population and it's it's interesting and it's important i mean uh, we'll it, it but but it's not it it's not well it's not well understood what's going on this this thing started when the department of labor uh last week published a report the headline of which was alaska population remains similar in size from 2022 to 23. And in the middle of that, in the middle of the of the uh, piece they released, uh, that was the that was the press release they released. It says this despite despite the slight overall growth in population, Alaska continued to lose people to migration net migration in migrants minus out migrants resulted in the net outflow of three thousand two hundred and forty six people. Alaska has lost more movers than it has gained every year since 2013 but losses have slowed in recent years. Alaska's 65 and older population grew 3% and the 18 to 64 year old group, what's now being referred to as the as the working age group, declined by 0.2%, declined by 0.2%. So that's where this game of telephone started. The next the the, the next step Uh, was an article that Alex DeMarvin wrote uh, in the Anchorage Daily News headline, Alaska's working age population continues its long decline, a headwind for the economy. Now, keep in mind that in the original report, they said Alaska's 65 and older population grew 3 percent and the 18 to 64 year old population declined by 0.2 percent. And now we've got that translated into Alaska's working age population. The 18 to 64 group continues its long decline, a headwind for the economy. And Alex does a good job going into sort of the history of this going back to 2013 when this decline started um, and and really sort of steps through what's going on with uh, with respect to the population. But remember, this started with a, with a press release that says the decline has been 0.2%. Then the next step is what's going on in the legislature with all this. And James Brooks wrote an article in the uh, in the Beacon that's been picked up by the ADN and others. Alaska's work, working population loss casts long shadow over legislative session. And James does a, a great job talking about, you know, how everybody is using what began as a 0.2% decline in the population. James uh, uh, does a good job describing what everybody's doing with this, and basically, what people are doing is saying, "Hey, we got a decline in working age population. That's horrible. My issue is the one that's causing it." Right. And and he goes through he goes through a list. George Rousher, uh, and a member of the uh, a member of the House Majority Coalition, suggested that high electricity prices are contributing to the high cost of living, driving people out uh, of Alaska. Senator, Senate President Gary Stevens said increased education funding uh, is necessary in order to keep people um, uh, in the state. Um, and then um, G- uh, Kathy Giesel said the lack of a pension program for state employees is deterring people from moving to the state to take state jobs. And the revival of the pension is the majority's uh, number two priority. So we've got all these people who are. Who are now taking this 0.2 percent population decline and blowing it up into hey the real reason for it is my issue and the state needs to fund my issue more in george rouser's george rouser's case by spending more on in-state energy in um uh, uh gary Stevens' case spending more on k-12 and Kathy diesel's case spending more on the defined pension program everybody everybody is using this issue as a reason for for more more and more spending
3: yeah. there's you notice the one thing that i didn't see in any of that i didn't see anything about overall government spending being part of the problem driving people out i mean i just i throw that out there i'm just throwing that out there
1: well y- y- interesting you mentioned that <laughs> it's like we have this set up interesting you mentioned that uh so i got interested in who exactly are these people? Who, who is the working age population? Uh, which part of the working age population is is leaving the state? And, and you can't do it from Department of Labor from the Alaska Department of Labor Statistics. They don't keep an, an income by income bracket breakdown uh, because we don't have that information in the state, basically. They don't keep a by, by, by income bracket breakdown of what's going on with the population. But the IRS does since 2015 the irs has published state data well they published state data for a long time but in 2015 they started including information that breaks down the number of filings the number of returns filed by income bracket by age, and they did this by they do it by including a category that says filings by the elderly now they classify elderly as 60 and above and i and i you know i sort of take it a, a <laughs> take, take offense at that so but i so i had to spend about 10 minutes getting over that but 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 you can go into the you can go into the irs data and 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 separate the the income brackets what's going on with the income brackets over the years by age dividing it into the elderly and the non-elderly those filing income taxes uh, uh, income tax returns that are less than 60, 60 years old and that data is really interesting um if you've got that chart let's th- let's throw it up let's throw it up now so i can uh, i can talk to it so i've done a chart that breaks down the the change in population from 2015 to 2020 the change in returns from 2015 to 2020 by income bracket by age i've used the i've used the 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 irs data to focus on the what what they classify as the working families or the 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 working age families which are 60 and below and and there's something very interesting going on you'll see on the data the the, the bars in red are where there's a decline the bars in blue are where there's an increase and the gray bars are just summary bars of of the various bars up until uh, up to where the where the gray bar appears but you can see that the decli- that that from 2015 to 2020 the number of households working age households non-elderly working age households the number of households number of returns have declined for every group up to the $200,000 mark. So, and 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 it increases the farther the farther down the income bracket you go. From 100,000 to 200,000 the decline has been 1.7% from uh using using one of the summaries from 75,000 to or from 25,000 to 100,000 the decline has been 3.8%, below 25,000 the decline has been 15% those brackets have those income brackets have declined as as for over time from 2015 to 2018 those with populations working age families with incomes of $200,000 and above have increased the the those with income between uh, 100,000 or or 100,000 or more 100,000 to the highest income have increased by 2.3% those with incomes of 200,000 or more have increased by 18.5%. The the interesting thing about this overlay, about about this chart, is when you overlay it with the burden that's imposed, the regressivity of of what we're using for a fiscal system, relying on PFD cuts, when you overlay that on top of this chart, you see that the people leaving the state, the income groups leaving the state, state, are those that are being burdened greatest by PFD cuts, those that have the largest share of their income being taken by the fiscal system the state's using the PFD cuts. Those that are not only staying but growing are those income groups that aren't, be, aren't being affected by Alaska's fiscal system. The PFD PFD cuts take a trivial share of, of, of in income brackets above hundred thousand, well above two hundred thousand dollars and above. So those income groups, those that aren't being affected by Alaska's fiscal system, those that aren't being taxed by Alaska's fiscal system are growing. Those that are being taxed increasingly heavily by Alaska's fiscal system through PFD cuts are declining. And it follows the, the chart. This chart falls right down the, 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 the course of the regressivity. Regressivity hits middle income middle-income Alaska families harder than upper-income Alaska families—they're showing a moderate decline. Middle-income families are. It hits lower-income families hardest of all, harder than 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 any other uh, 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 group of Alaska families, and they're showing the greatest decline. So, when you—if you really want to get into this—you need to look at where which which families are leaving, which of the working-age families are leaving, and it's not those in the top twenty percent. It's not those in the upper income. They're staying. They're growing. In fact. It is it is a it is families in middle and lower income working working age families in middle and low in the middle and lower income brackets that are leaving. So when you when you average these two together, you get a decline overall decline from 2015 to 2020 of 4.8 percent, roughly five percent. Right. But but the huge share of the decline is in the middle and lower income Alaska bracket. So if you want to talk about if you want to talk about what's the cause of people leaving the state, it's it's th- that we're taxing them. We're taxing middle and lower income Alaska families to pay for government. We're taxing middle and lower income Alaska families, and the irony of this, the irony of this, is all of the solutions that 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 various other people are talking about. George Rauscher's increased energy uh, investment in energy, Gary Stevens' increased investment in K through twelve kathy giesel's increased investment in in defined benefits all of those will increase pfd cuts increase the burden and drive even more of those families out of the state look their, their <clears throat> solutions are going to make the are going to make the issue the the problem worse
3: yeah like uh like i said government spending may be the problem let me summate this ch- this chart for folks who are listening on the radio. Essentially. Uh, there's been a 15.2 or well, actually 18, 19% decrease in tax returns of people who are making under $100,000 a year. And there's been a 20 plus 20.3% increase in tax returns of people making over $100,000 a year. So more rich people are staying, more of the people who are not paying or not paying their full percentile are, are staying. And those who are under the burden of this tax under a hundred thousand dollars are leaving 20% leaving 20% staying. And that's where it's going. It's, um, this is a interesting chart for, to say the least quickly, Brad here, I got like less than 60 seconds to give me a summation before we move to the break.
1: Well, if, if, if the, if the Alaska legislature thinks the solution to this, to the, to the loss of the working age, problem is increased government spending they're going the wrong direction the solution is to look at what at where at where the burden of the existing fiscal system is hitting alaska families and to correct that not yeah. to, not to increase government spending
3: brad keithley alaskans for sustainable budgets we continue with more here in just a moment the michael duke show common sense radio
0: Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, we're in the
3: break uh, right now. Brad, um, any final thoughts on this? I mean, this is a fascinating snapshot of, uh, I mean, this is obviously not exhaustive, but it gives you a good snapshot of of what's happening in the state. I mean, this is again, he said the 11 year downward trend is what they're saying. But when you look at this, you realize uh, either more people in Alaska are making higher amounts of money, or overall, you're seeing where the majority of the
1: exodus is coming from as far as dollars. Well, it shows that there's an exodus, Michael, we're down the, the returns, file returns over the five year period from 2015 to 2020. Are down 4.8%, 4. 4. I think that number is. So we're we're showing we're showing an exodus. We're showing less returns in the state. And there's another chart that I did in last week's landmine that shows we're we're down people also, because the IRS also gives you the data of individuals, not broken by age, but individuals across the income brackets. Um, and we're down, we're down people. So we're we're bleeding people. I there, there's the, the, the department of labor is exactly right with this. This, this doesn't, doesn't contradict that at all. We're bleeding people, but we're bleeding people from middle, from the middle and lower income brackets. The upper income brackets are doing just fine. In fact, they're growing. It's not just that they're holding their own. They're growing, um, uh, uh, over the last, over the last five years, returns in the upper income brackets are growing. It's middle and lower income Alaska families that, uh, that we're that we're bleeding out so we, we ought to i mean if the legislature is really going to get into this if everybody's going to say okay the, the the template or the the touchstone this time is what does it do to our working to, to the loss of working age we need to recognize the legislature needs to recognize that that the loss that we're occurring is occurring in middle and lower income brackets and anything they do anything they do needs to be focused on the middle and lower income brackets and everything they've done since 2016, since 2017, when the legislature got into the act of cutting PFPs, everything they've done is to shove the fiscal burden of the state's deficits off on those that very same group, off on middle and lower income Alaska families. So if you, if George Rauscher, you think, or Gary Stevens or Kathy Geisel, you think, the solution to this is, oh, government's going to come in and government's going to increase spending, and we're going to solve this. If you increase that spending by increasing PFD cuts, which is what you've done the last, the last you know eight years, if you if you think you're going to do this by increasing PFD cuts and you're going to solve the problem, you're actually going to make the problem worse. And, and and that's something that that I don't think the legislature has any clue about. I mean, they think government solves all. And really all Republicans, Democrats alike, government solves all. And all I need to do is just spend more money someplace. But it's where you're getting the money that's having the impact. It's interesting that these numbers are almost even
3: 19, uh, 19 percent drop uh, in the lower incomes and a 20.7 percent increase in the upper incomes. It's it's interesting how they're so close. Uh, Brian says correlation is not causation, Brad. It may suggest that this is a reason right here is what he says.
1: Yeah, well, Uh, (laughs) it's a it's a it's a pretty damn big reason. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah. I would I would say that that definitely uh, shows some of the stuff for sure uh, that uh, makes you uh, ask some questions there for sure. All right. We're going to come up into uh, our two here in just or uh, excuse me, a segment uh, number two here in just a second. Uh, Brad, give us a tease for
1: uh, for number two. We're going to talk about uh, some of the presentations this past week from DNR uh, and the legislative and public reaction to them about oil production. Uh, I think we're (laughs) I I, I don't think we're really getting the message we ought to be getting uh, from uh, from from the numbers that uh, that the state has told us about oil. Yeah. Wait, you think Uh, we're going to uh, we'll continue
3: that here in just a second. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets is our guest please like and share the show I know that that is uh you guys get tired of me asking and I get or, and I get tired of asking but it's uh, one of the ways that we can help drive more people to the program each and every week so we need your help on that give us a, give us a helping hand on that if you would uh, Brad Keithley uh, Alaskans for sustainable budgets let's get to it the weekly top three continues right
0: now. Brad Keithley joins us every week to discuss oil, gas, and the economic forecast of Alaska. It's the Michael Dukes Show.
3: Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, continues with us right now, the weekly top three. We're going to move on to number two, although we probably could spend a couple segments on number one this morning for sure. It was a a lot, and I think we basically just got the thumbnail sketch of that one right there. Let's move on to discussions about the DNR presentations. what's missing from the presentation is the big question, Brad. Let's start there.
1: So DNR, at the beginning of the of the session, uh, the finance committees always have various agencies in to talk about uh, uh, what's going on in various pieces of the state. DNR, Department of Natural Resources comes in to talk about oil production because oil production historically is important and still is important in terms of Oil revenues. Let me try it this way. Oil revenues are still are have always been important and are still important in terms of the state in in terms of the state budget outlook. So DNR came in, made their presentation and and as as you would expect them to do, talked about this huge increase in in production. They see overall state production. They see toward the middle and the end of the 10 year forecast period uh, that that the that the state looks at. They look there. There's a ramp up. That occurs from PICA uh, in the, in sort of the middle of the period, middle to the to the first part of the latter part of the period. And then willow starts showing up, volumes from willow start showing up the latter period. And DNR made a big deal about, about how you know this is all great and, and production's going up and you don't need to worry uh, that, that that you know we're gonna be saved here by by production out there out there in the future. And the and the the legislature picked this up. The the finance committee picked it up, and the press picked it up, and everybody said, "Oh, we're 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 going to be saved. How do, yeah, we got a few years, a rough patch ahead of us, uh, but we're going to be saved uh, by the end of it." Here's here's what they here's what everybody's missing. And I we did a column on this in the landmine a couple of weeks ago. Yes, revenues are going up dramatically over the 10 year period. We're about four at 470 now, 470,000 barrels a day. Now, at the end of the period, by the end of the period in, in fiscal year 33, DNR projects will be at 633,000 barrels, an increase of roughly you know 50% uh, over, the, over the period, big, big increase in production, but revenues, the revenues from those volumes are going down not only are they not going up as much, they're going down over the 10 year period. We start the 10 year period with oil revenues at $2.41 billion. That's DNR's projection or DOR's projection of revenues at the beginning of the period. At the end of the period, we're at $2.1 billion, $300 million less in terms of revenues from that oil than, than, than we were at the beginning of the period. So you've got volumes going up. Big story. And you've got revenues going down. My problem was, my problem is, DNR makes this big pitch during their presentation about, oh, we finally got volumes on the right track. We're going in the right direction. Don't touch oil taxes. I mean, they're the key to all this. That's why, you know, that's what everybody says. It's it's why we're having this big, this big, this big production boost. Revenues are going down. from the From the state revenues are going from the standpoint of the state. Honestly, I don't care much about where production volumes are going. It's nice to have them going up. It's nice to say that Alaska is producing more widgets uh, than it used to. But what's the meaning to the state? And remember, these are state volumes. They're, out, they're on state lands. What's the meaning to the state? What's the value to the state from that increased production? <laughs> and the answer is the volumes are going down. <laughs> or the, re- the revenues are going down. That's the story. The story ought to be, hey, we're getting these big increase in in production volumes, but we're not getting any revenues. In fact, we're losing revenues out of out of these big increase in production volumes. What's what's the story? What's going on there? And shouldn't we be doing something about it so that the state receives some sort of similar benefit from oil from oil volumes going up in terms of in terms of revenues going up now? The state would say, DNR would say, oh, well, you know, what's really going on out there at the end of the period is is the impact of all the investments made in Willow and those flowing in PICA and those flowing through the way we calculate oil taxes, and it'll all be better. We'll finally get some increase in revenues out there in the 2030s someplace. It'll all catch up out there in the 2030s someplace. Well, yeah, but we got to survive the 2020s. (laughs) before we ever get to the 2030s and frankly I'm not sure that happens I mean I've looked at the DNR analysis on Alpine I've looked or on Willow rather I've looked at what's at the trends that are going on in the 10-year period in terms of the projection period and I'm not sure that happens out there in the 2030s I mean it's a nice story and you can say it because you don't have any numbers that contradict it because your window ends at 2033 but I don't think it happens and 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 so we we've got we've got all this press and all of these people saying, "Yeah, we've done it. We got production up." Well, folks, <laughs> we've got it up at the expense of revenues. And the real story from the standpoint of the state needs to be revenues, not just producing more widgets. So what should we be doing? Should we be
3: talking about the oil taxes? Should we be looking at it and saying, "These <clears throat> this was too much. We've given away the farm in the short term for some long-term or potential long-term gain?" Should we be looking at, uh, I mean, should we be looking at the tax schedules for these kind of things?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I wrote a column, we wrote a column in the landmine a few weeks ago that said, you know, the state's leaving money on the table in terms of oil taxes. Oil taxes, it, it, to, to get investment re- restarted, I mean, we were, we were at the tail end of investment. We were, we, were the, we were lagging the industry by a lot in the in the late 20, 2000s and the early 20-teens. To get oil investment restarted, we needed to come in and we needed to reform the oil tax system. It was, it was pushing investment away from Alaska. We did that, but you know you don't do everything perfectly when you, when you do it, and you need to keep track of what's going on with the results of what you've done at the time you did it. And what's happened is there are some things that got happened that that that, that some some consequences of what was done with oil taxes that need to be changed in order for the state to get the revenues. Remember, the important part to the state of production volumes is revenues, not just more widgets, but revenues. On a finite resource. We need resource. to, do, we need on a to finite, do some things that get,
3: that get more revenue. On a finite resource, right? I mean, this is not a renewable. This is something that's finite. We need to make sure that we get maximum yield uh, and maximum dollars out of those while still not it's a balance obviously you want to keep the investment up but you're you have a finite resource we need to be getting the maximum we can out of the taxation and if it's showing that we're losing money in the long run or receiving more receiving less for more
1: volume that's a problem it is a problem and and that's where the legislature needs to focus they don't need to be declaring victory oh volumes are up yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know we did it right next next subject you know how, how do we spend more <laughs> You, you, they, they need to be focusing on the revenue side. And the, the administration needs to be focusing on the revenue side. I mean, DNR came in and sort of took a victory lap, right? Production volumes are up. We did it right. Don't mess with, don't mess with what we did. Wrong. Production volumes are up, revenues are going down. We do need to be looking at what's at what's going on, and we need to be, you know, talking about the changes as you say there's a balance but we need to be talking about changes that make sure the state benefits from the increase in 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 revenues in some fashion not out there you know 2015 years from now but but currently um in some fashion so it's we've taken the wrong message the state is taking the wrong message and the, and the and the and the press has taken the wrong message out of the DNR presentation the pre, the, the the message ought to be productions up that's good Revenues are down. What's going on? And and what should we be doing in order to make sure that Alaskans get their fair share of the revenues that are being generated by the industry by these increased volumes?
3: OK, we make Brad Keithley King for a day. He can decide anything. What is your solution to this? What are you I mean, you know, is it a, what taxation change do you make here uh, on the producers or on the oil company? What what
1: what changes have to be made in your mind? I don't have to get real creative. The administration prior to Adam Crum, the administration had already focused on this, and the administration under under DOR before Adam Crum came in and shut it down, DOR had already focused on you know reductions in per barrel credits, which does some of this, um, uh, 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 closing the Hillcorp loophole that's about a hundred million dollars, that's the difference between what Hillcorp pays in taxes and what BP paid in taxes for the very same uh fields that uh, that hillcorp uh, bought from vp closing the hillcorp loophole we probably need to look at the way that we allow for uh, deductions uh, uh expenses or investment not not exclude the the investment from from deductions but how we do it how we time it and we probably need to look at what's called the the gross revenue value or gross gvr gross value revenue a reduction that we allow for new volumes we probably ought to look at that again we already looked at it once in the middle 20s and made some adjustments to it we probably ought to look 20 teams we ought to probably ought to look at it again uh, and make some more adjustments to it uh <clears throat> this is i mean
3: and this is what we've been talking about part of this balanced approach to cutting the government spending protecting the pfd putting a spending cap in new taxes for oil uh, because we are leaving money on the table, which, I mean, some people, in the, especially those in the more conservative side, don't want to hear at all. Uh, but again, a finite resource that we're letting out the door for pennies on the dollar. Uh, and in the long run, the, you know, if we can't survive between now and then, it doesn't matter what a good deal we get 20 years from now.
1: Yeah, it's I mean, here's the problem with oil taxes. Whenever you get into oil taxes, you have people that say, oh, we ought to go back to ACEs. Or we ought to we ought to do this, or we ought to eliminate the per bill credits, or we ought to do no. I mean that just sends us back to the early twenty teens. That that will send us back to the bottom of the heap in terms of in terms of attracting investment. There is a balance. We made the balance in in twenty thirteen. We made the balance at the time. It has produced results, but we need to rebalance it. It's not. I mean the industry says, well, you know, don't don't disturb it. Well, it's been ten years. I mean, the industry wanted it disturbed in 2013 because it wasn't working then they were all for disturbing it it's not working now it's not working the way it should for the state's interest in terms of revenues now and we ought to look at it again but let's not go hog wild i mean the problem with with robin brennan's proposal what was it no on two or what whatever the whatever the the, the initiative was uh the problem is it went went way too far so you're 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 going here. We are now. Here we're way over here. That's how much the industry ought to be, you know, giving to the state. No, that sends us back to the early 20 teens. Let's find a way in the middle. But we ought to be looking for the place in the middle, and 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 having presentations by DNR and the press being oh, all all's rosy because production's going up. That's not the issue. The issue is revenue. The revenue is going down. We ought to be looking at ways to, to ways to fix that, balance it, and fix it. All right. Uh, number three, Brad, quickly here, give me a tease for number three before we hit the road. I, I don't want to make a big deal of a couple of things, but I do want to mention that I have a couple of concerns that are coming up. One is about the K through 12, what's going on with K through 12. And the other is about HJR 7, the, the, the PFD constitutional amendment. And I, and I want to raise those concerns in, and, and sort of outline what the concerns are. I don't want to trash the bills, but I want to raise the concerns I have with them.
3: All right, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We continue in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty Base. free thinking radio.
0: If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes on Demand. Oh, and it's free, like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
3: Okay, we're in the break right now. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Um, Let's see. Um, I'm just going back here. (laughs) Rob Meyer says, funny how oil production and prices are the first thing in the agenda for finance, but not the rest of the economy again this goes right back to that whole idea of that divorcing of as long as the public economy is doing great we're all doing great we're all doing great um lose a little here lose a little there but we make up for it on volume (laughs) (laughs) that that's some classic stuff right there that is uh that is for sure um just going through we need to drill baby drill well the and 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 I think is part of it is uh uh part of it is you know we could drill more all we want but if we receive less revenue for more re- production still I mean that's a declining you know I mean you could only make up for it in volume for so many times and we're still you know we're still if we're paying out for credits and other things I mean the whole thing needs to be
1: reevaluated at some point right? Yeah, exactly right. Drill baby drill is actually costing us money. I mean, th- because of the way the credits work, because of the way the deductions work, because of the of the benefits of GBR, because of the way the production volume credits work, uh, drilling is actually costing us money. Uh, we know that from Willow. I mean, DNR DOR has done the analysis that says we're losing money in the first few years from Willow um and that's what they want to tell us we're losing money in the first few years but we'll make it up on the back end well i'm not sure i mean the back end is now way the heck beyond the the, beyond the 10-year period so so i'm not sure we're making it up i know we're losing it in the front end and i know we're losing a lot in the front end from both pika and from uh willow i'm not sure we make it up in the back end and um and and so that's you know when drill baby drill is as, and to go back to Brian's comment, when you you know lose a little here and you lose a little there, but you're going to make it up in volume, no, you aren't. You're going to keep on losing. So that's that's what we need to evaluate. Right, and and on top
3: of that, Willow is on federal land, right? So we're not getting uh, the same amounts for that. So that's diminishing returns just almost right out of the gate. Peak is the one that we can that uh, we can expect to see some some benefit from in the long run, but you know. <laughs> Yeah, we're that's exactly right, Brian. We're taking it in the back end. Yes, we are taking it in the back end. That's that's exactly what we're uh, what we're talking about here. Um, <clears throat> well, Brad, uh, I did want to run something by you real. quick. How much time do I got? I got enough time here. Uh, I don't know if you saw the comment in Mussery, Alaska, on Scott Kawasaki's dream. Um, but Scott Kawasaki had a dream. He had a dream back in two thousand and whatever it was, two thousand and eight. When uh, when uh, Sarah Palin was net was tapped for vice president, he dreamed that before it happened. And he said just the other night he had a dream that Mike Dunleavy was going to be tapped for vice president, uh, which, again, uh, whether it's vice president or uh, uh, or commissioner or the Department of the Interior director or whatever cabinet level stuff. Is this explain a lot of Mike Dunleavy's kind of quiet? um um hiding i guess in the administration right now what do you what do you, What are your thoughts on that
1: oh i think i i don't think it's vice president i mean i sarah Payland or dnr enough, i mean or or department of the interior I right mean, i i think i think dunleavy's clearly angling for department of interior i think he's really i mean where does he go after this uh, he's really not developing himself into a strong candidate against lisa i mean he may think he is but he's not uh because he's just sort of a He's sort of a do nothing governor. So where does he go uh, after he finishes, you know, his his second term? Um, and you know, I, 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 going to DC is always an attraction for people. And you know, running Department of Interior, you know, the Wally Hickel uh, uh, legacy and and all that. Um, I think that's clearly what what he has in mind. So yeah, I, I think it explains a lot. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to be known as a tax governor. Every time he surfaces taxes, like last year when he surfaced sales tax, you know, I can just sort of visualize he goes back into the office and there are people beating on him saying, oh, no, 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 you don't want to be, you don't want to do that because, you know, Trump would, Trump wouldn't pick you then because you'd you'd be tainted goods. You don't want to, you don't want to do that. Um, And so, and so he doesn't do that. I mean, he mentions it. He sort of you know the the good Mike Dunleavy shows up and 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 says something about equitable revenues, and then, you know, after the beatings, talk about beatings. After the beatings, when he gets back to the office, he doesn't talk about that anymore because he doesn't want to, you know, uh, 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 cause cause reputational damage, right, you know, right, to, to his right. prospects as as Interior Secretary. So yeah, I think that's clearly motivating. Yeah.
3: Well, I put the kibosh on the whole idea that he was going to be vice president because. He's taller than Trump, and you could never have that ever. He could never that he would never stand for that. So it's uh it's an interesting uh, interesting point. All right, twenty seconds out. Brad Keithley weekly top three. This could have been a four segment show today for sure, uh, but we're gonna jump back into it here. We're ten seconds out. Please like and share, subscribe, ring the bell, do all the stuff. It really helps, folks. It really, really helps. So here we go, uh, getting ready to jump back into it, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right, we're back. Brad Keithley is our guest. Uh, final segment of the weekly top three Today he's got. Uh, I've got some explaining to do. We got some questions, a couple of concerns, on the K through 12 bill and on the PFD constitutional amendment. Uh, Brad, let's uh, let's let's get to it.
1: Well, I didn't. I didn't want to do full segments on these because full segments tend. I tend to bash things, and I and I don't really want to bash these. But I I do want to surface what I think are issues about these K through 12. K through 12 to me is numbers. Uh, Last year, the legislature passed an increase, the one time increase for K through 12, which was one hundred and seventy four million dollars. The governor vetoed it down to eighty seven million dollars. Well, now now with the with the what's going on with K through 12 now and in the in the House Rules Committee. I mean, I think the perceptions out there is that the House Rules Committee is holding the line. They've decreased their they're decreasing the 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 grab. That the that the K through twelve industry is trying to make for additional monies, and, um, and 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 they're doing really good things. Here's the numbers. Keep in mind that last year the legislature passed the one time increase. The legislature passed was 174 million dollars. the The total of what's now in the in what came out of House rules, the total increased spending that came out of House rules, is about 210 million dollars. Thirty million dollars more, forty million dollars more than was than the than the legislature passed last year. And remember that the governor vetoed the 174 million down to 87 million. And so, it, compared to those numbers, the what's coming out of House Rules is 210 million dollars. Now, 20 million of that is for uh, is for broadband. So right. take that off uh, and and don't include that in the calculation for K through 12. That's still 190 million dollars, 16 million dollars more than the legislature passed last year for the one time before the before the governor vetoed it. What's going on is not so much that that the rules committee decreased spending; they've decreased it on on the BSA, the portion that goes to the BSA, but they've increased it a bunch of other places that in, that 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 produces a package that costs more. Than what the one-time increase that the legislature passed uh, last legislature was. My concern is this. Okay, so let's say, let's say the right place to draw the line is $190 million. Well, we're not we're far from through dealing with the BSA, right? People are going to press on increasing the BSA. So we've got it, we've got a package that the governor has that that the rules committee has tilted to increase spending elsewhere. To pay for that, they've essentially decreased BSA. If people push to increase the BSA, What's what's going to happen on the other side? The stuff that the governor wanted to spend. If you look at Congress, what they do is they spend on both. I mean, their their vision of, com- right. of compromise is Let's just keep spending on everything. And and my concern is that K through twelve is is going to rapidly get out of control here uh, as people make proposals for BSA. If you're gonna if you're gonna increase the BSA, you got to decrease decrease it elsewhere, or else you're going to end up with a five hundred million dollar, a half billion dollar K through twelve bill. That's my concern on K through twelve. The second can, can,
3: before before you get into the second, let me comment yep. because in having some conversations with some of the folks, and I think uh, Shelly Hughes mentioned it yesterday and everything else, what they're trying to do is spend the amount. It, 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 you know, a uh, close to the amount to what people were looking for in the BSA, but instead of putting it under the BSA where it ends up in administrative and classroom and everything else, they said that they're trying to make it more programmatic so that that money ends up in the classroom and has some accountability. That's their argument.
1: What do you say to that? Well, I, I, I get that. I mean, they're still spending more than than what the legislature passed last year to increase the BSA on a one time basis. They're still spending more, but I, I get what they're doing. But the, but the problem is, it's not the k through twelve industry is far from finished push, pushing back public K through twelve industry is far from from finished pushing back and wanting an increase to the BSA. That Senate certainly is going to push for an increase to the BSA. So as it goes through the process, if there is if there is consensus to increase the BSA, either the governor's going to have to cut back on what he's trying to do with the other stuff, or we're going to end up, as I say, with a five hundred million dollar, a half a billion dollar packaged by where by the time we're finished between what's the what the governor wants to prioritize and what happens on the bsa side
3: okay all right i just wanted to throw that out there as kind of a devil's advocacy thing because that's what i'm hearing from folks uh and that's kind of what shelly hughes said yesterday the bottom line is the question the big question always remains is who pays for all this stuff <laughs> regardless of where <laughs> it goes and who it comes from who pays in the long run so i'm sorry brad go ahead
1: no, we know who pays middle and lower income Alaska families. We know who's leaving the state, uh, middle and lower income Alaska families. Um, all right, on HJR seven, this is um, the proposal, the 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 current PFD proposal on the on the table. And I guess my concern is I'm not sure what it's going to resolve. the 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 current proposal on the table now is to have a constitutional amendment that doesn't constitutionalize. A PFD amount it constitutionalizes setting the amount by statute. So so whatever the statute says will will have the benefit of having been constitutionalized, and it will be recognized as constitutional as a constitutional amount, as opposed to as opposed to just a mere statutory amount that that we've had. Um, but it's but it's still going to be set by statute. So that means twenty one plus eleven plus a governor. Can change it. It's probably good, you know, as long as Dunleavy's governor. Because if the legislature tried to change the statute um, uh, by uh, by reducing what what's in the current statutory amount, the governor would likely veto that bill. But after governor, but after Dunleavy's gone, we don't know what we're going to get after that. We may get Walker, a Walker-like, not Walker himself. I think he's done, but but a Walker-like governor who will push the legislature to to decrease uh, the PFD down to, you know, a minimal amount, maybe, maybe right in the statute is what's ever left over after, after the amount's done. And all of a sudden that's going to be constitutionalized. I, I understand why, why, why the legisl- why the, why people are pushing that. I, 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 get that the, that you can't put the forces together to get a constitutionalized PFD amount now. and and, and this is sort of the best you can get, but I'm not sure what it's getting us. And I'm not sure to me, I'm not sure spending a whole lot of energy pushing this through is gonna is is the right way to spend our energy. To me, the right way to spend the energy is to continue to talk about the balanced, comprehensive approach and making a constitutionalized PFD amount part of that approach. Maybe you don't get it through this legislature. And I think that I think that's what the I think that's what Ben Carpenter's conclusion has been. So let's let's try to do something else. But but I'm not sure this fallback position of of doing it by statute is going to get us. I mean, as I say, as long as Dunleavy's governor, maybe maybe you know we're good. But Dunleavy's not going to be governor forever, and in the next legislature, it may be in, in the next governor, it may come back to come back to bite us. So I'm, I'm I'm concerned that we're going to spend a whole lot of energy doing something, and in the end, and the end result isn't going to be what we think it is. It's going to be something that 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 not only doesn't advance the ball much, it, uh, it, it could come back to bite us. Well, and we still end up with two competing uh, statutes,
3: right? We still end up with the POMV statute and the permanent fund, the original permanent fund statute. And it looks like apparently, uh, according to what just happened on last Thursday, we've been ignoring the Constitution anyway. So what's another constitutional, you know, it's ignoring another constitutional mandate uh, in the long run uh, on that. Uh, I mean, ideally, this would set, you know, ideally, a PFD statute or a PFD change in the Constitution would enshrine something like the original formula in the Constitution. So there wouldn't be any, there wouldn't be any question at that point, right?
1: Yep, exactly. I mean, 50-50 that the, that the, that the, uh, that the and this was Dunleavy's proposal What one point that the permanent fund earnings will be split 50-50 in the Constitution, done. We don't debate that anymore. That's the baseline. This sets up a sets up a situation where we keep debating it every year. You know, people say, "Well, let's let's amend let let's amend the statute to re, to reduce it, or let's amend the statute to do something else with it, or let's, you know the the argument in the <laughs> the argument in House Judiciary was, well, it ensures that we at least get a dollar every year, that there is a PFD every year. That's a win, right? <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> Well, I mean, it, let, it does. Let, let, let's focus on the big picture and not and not look for the for, a, you know, the second best.
3: Theoretically, picture. it does take it out of the appropriations process. But theoretically, I mean, at this point, right? I mean, that's the that's the theory. Um, we're not sure that that's what it would actually happen. It may just continue to have this ball go back and forth uh, quickly. Brad, final thoughts. Uh, 30 seconds. Go.
1: Well, we're early in early days of the legislature. There's a lot to a lot to go on. But keep my suggestion is keep following the numbers. Keep particularly on K twelve, but you know all the issues. Keep following what the what yep. the numbers tell you. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Brad, thank you so
3: much. Appreciate you coming on board. Michael, as always, thanks for having me, folks. We got uh, more coming up. Hour two, dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. I mean, ideally it does take it out of the appropriations process, but I mean, I don't know if that's the practical, if that's what really happens. We're seeing that the legislature has very little, has very little uh, um, respect for law or the constitution at this point, if they feel like it's not
1: in the best interest of what's going on. Yeah. And there's, there's a couple of things, Michael. I mean, I, again, I don't want to, I don't, I'm not trying to cast a whole lot of, you know, adversity on, on the proposal, because Ben is, I think, in good faith trying to you know, do what he can. But here's what it says. Each fiscal year without appropriation, an amount determined by the formula set out in law shall be transferred from the earnings reserve account in the permanent fund to the general fund. The amount transferred from the earnings reserve account shall not exceed the balance of the earnings reserve account. Each fiscal year with without appropriation, the state shall, according to the formula set out in law, pay a dividend uh, to eligible residents of the state. That's, that's, that's the guts of, of what the, of what the provision does. Well, two things about that. One, actually the appropriations bill is a, is a law. I mean, it's a statute. It says, you know, it, it, it is a statute in, in, in all, in all ways. It's a statute that appropriates, but it's nonetheless a statute. It sets out in law, what this what the state, uh, may spend. So I'm a little concerned that, that, you know the Supreme Court will say, yeah, okay, fine. Appropri- the appropriation bill is a statute. What, what, what's the big deal? That's one. Two uh, is, I mean, I can easily see Bert <laughs> or Bert's successors uh, in the years ahead say, well, we're not going to consider this appropriation bill until we have a statute, and and here the Finance Committee is going to propose a statutory change uh, that uh, that changes the PFD statute this year to X. Um, and we're going to enact the two together. And yeah, the governor might veto the appropriate the 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 change in the in the in the uh, uh, in the PFd statute. But guess what? We'll put little tricks into the appropriation statute that it'll explode um, uh, if the governor does that, and all sorts of bad things will happen. So we're going to tie the two together. so
3: then and the, so then the fight annually would be over the actual formula instead of over the statutory formula instead of over the actual PFD amount the annual fight would then be over changing the statutory formula
1: every year. Yeah, exactly. And finance, you know, if it were Bird or his successor that runs it their way, uh, finance would just generate a finance bill that does it, doesn't go through any other process. Finance generates it, finance passes it, finance puts it on the floor, finance forces it through. And and it just becomes part of the sort of a sidebar to, to the appropriations process. Instead of instead of it being a firm, it shall be 50% of the of the permanent fund earnings in the constitution. Bam. Don't argue about it. That's what the constitution says now. Let's go on to the next thing. Instead of it being that, it'll be this annual, okay, what's our sidebar number this year? How do how do we how do we you know rewrite the statute this year to match what we're doing in the in the appropriations? And I I can easily see Bert doing that or Bert's successor doing that. And it just um i, I just it, we're not solving the issue we're not solving the fundamental issue of what's the fair share of permanent fund earnings that goes to the citizens of alaska we're just kicking the can down the road in a different way and 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 you know you know putting different a different process in place to to re-kick the can uh in future years I, again I'm not, trying to say, I'm not trying to say that what Ben's doing is, is bad. I'm a big supporter of Ben. I hope he wins the race against Jesse Bjorkman. I, you know, all sorts of great things about Ben. But I'm just not sure what this particular approach is going to really do for us uh, down the road.
3: Well, this is kind of a half measure, right? I mean, because the full measure that we're talking about actually constitutionalizing the formula... Had zero had zero support. I mean, the no, no, nobody in the legislature wanted to touch it. It was radioactive. And so this is the half measure to try and get us halfway there. But does it really fix the problem? I mean, I agree. I think that there are definitely some problematic issues with it. Um, but uh, as Donna points out, proposals like this have been put up and they go nowhere. I mean, it's essentially the status
1: quo. Yeah, my experience, my experience over the decades I've done this stuff is you sort of get one shot at doing something like this. You build up a bunch of energy, you build up a bunch of momentum, and you do it or not, but you sort of get one shot at doing it. And, and, I, and I think my concern here is the PFD issue is going to continue to resonate. It's going to continue to be an issue. Do we want to spend all the momentum? Do we want to spend the energy? Is it a wise expenditure of that energy to, to you know, put it all behind this and to get this done? And then everybody can say, "Hey, we addressed the PFD issue. Finance, go do what you're going to do." But we we dealt with the PFD issue. It's now you know it's now in the constitution. You guys won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Bert, go do what you're going to do. I mean, is it is it a wise use of of the built up energy to to spend it on this bill? I wouldn't, if it were me again. I'm not. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, say Ben's doing the wrong thing, but I wouldn't spend the energy this way, even though it wasn't going to do anything this year, I would still talk about a balanced package uh, that that had as a piece of it, uh, you know, the spending cap, uh, uh, alternative revenues and and fixing the PFD. I would spend this year continuing to build up support for that in the hopes that in the next legislature it, it has it has more support and we go forward with it. Um, I don't think this provision is probably going to pass anyway. I think the Senate will trash it no matter what 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 form it comes through unless Bert figures out that he can manipulate it and then he'll say, oh yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. Uh, and then, you know, adopts it and co-ops it and turns it into his own little personal thing. Um, but I just, I, I'm, I'm not sure what we're accomplishing uh, with this bill. All right, well, Brad, um, final thoughts? <laughs> my My final, final thought is um is is we've got a long way to go in this legislature uh it's important to keep our eyes on the ball Uh, and and the ball is the numbers the dollars the dollars keep track of the dollars keep the spreadsheets going and we'll keep talking about it in the weeks ahead
3: all right brad thank you so much brad keithley alaskans for sustainable budgets we appreciate you sir we will talk to you again soon thanks michael all right uh folks we are out of time we got more coming up Hour two is dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
0: Whoa, buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the themichaeldukesshow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast.
3: And or FM translator. Hello and good morning. Welcome to hour two of the big radio show. We are diving into it here in hour two. We just finished up with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Uh, If you missed that, dang, you missed something good. And you should go back and listen to it on the podcast, which is available wherever you find podcasts. uh, CastBox, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, Google Play, Uh, and, of course, Spotify, and you can go back and listen to it there. Or if you want to see the charts and everything else, you can go back and watch it on the replay on Facebook or YouTube for sure. Um, I think one thing came out of the discussion uh, that we had this morning with Brad. One thing is uh, very apparent, and that is Alaska is – You know, Alaska overall, the overall trajectory of the economy and the overall trajectory of where we're going as a state is not is not uh, is not positive, I guess, unless you are working for the public sector. That would be the only thing, or you are uh, working um, um, off of the public sector. I guess that would be the only way to basically say that things are going uh, super good, super well. Uh, again, talking about uh, future projections of revenue and uh, and everything else, I think this is uh, uh, challenging, to say the least. Um, you know, Brad, again, Brad's discussion on the... Uh, Brad's discussion on the uh, outflow or migration of people, showing that more and more it is the uh, lower incomes of $100,000 or less that have been disappearing uh, in the uh, in the economy. I think shows and marries up to one of the things that I've been seeing personally on the streets uh, of uh, you know of the city and and of the communities uh, where I live and work is that. You know, we're having a hard time filling some of these lower end positions. We're having a hard time finding employees uh, to do some of this work. Uh, And part of the answer may be that they have just decided to, uh, you know, move on, shuffle off to Buffalo, so to speak, and, and do that. And yet at the same time, we have leaders in our legislature that just continue to support the idea that, uh, the next thing we need to do is some other government program that will, of course, save us from the problems created by previous government programs, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, I'm reminded at this point uh, by about uh, Reagan's quote uh, of uh, of you know, government's not the solution to the problem, but government in itself is is the problem uh, at this point. And we're looking, of course, at this whole idea that somehow the legislature knows. Um, Somehow better than you, how all this money should be spent and that those dollars do better in the public economy rather than the private economy. Now, I remember seeing a number. uh, This had been 10, 12 years ago now uh, at one point. And it looked at the demographic breakdown of the employees in the state of Alaska, the overall, overall employees, all the working age employees in the state. And something approaching 51% of employees in the state worked for government at one level or another, be that federal, state, municipal, cities, you know, boroughs, everything else. And so it makes sense that this is what, um, you know, this is what, uh, uh this is why the focus on the public economy has become so strident and so strong, because obviously it seems to be benefiting the, you know, o- almost half of the working age people in the state of Alaska. But the problem is we've got to have that private economy. To support everything else. Uh, you know, there's there's the old joke about turning Alaska into a national park and everybody else just move out and, and the only people here remaining are government or the companies that service those government contracts. And uh, you know, while in some people's mind, maybe that's a utopian ideal. Uh, for those of us who were born and raised, who live here, who've raised children here and raised families and are part of the private sector, that's not what we want. You know, we want an economy that uh, that is uh, strong, that grows for us, that allows us to succeed, uh, that uh, doesn't uh, you know take all the dollars and 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 harm the economy. And the fact that they've continued to take the PFD, a big chunk of it over the course of the last eight years, has not helped us at all. In fact, it has been tremendously detrimental. To the economy. And as Brad has pointed out many times, ICER and others have said that it is the largest negative impact to the overall Alaska economy by taking that money out of the private sector, where it can do the most good, where that money has been shown to not only, you know, bolster the economy by, you know, people buying big screen TVs or new tires for their cars or whatever, but also, of course, to foster entrepreneurship and other things. Um, is, uh, is pretty crazy. And if you want a, a perfect example of how the private sector has answered these questions in the past versus the public sector spending, you again, have to look no further than the current discussion on broadband. Somebody just mentioned broadband in the chat room. It's like, you're reading my mind. Um, you know, we're spending millions of dollars, mil- multiple, this latest bill, that they were just talking about in house rules this education bill which would increase the internet speed for communities um, but you know from 25 what was it 25 megabits down up to 100 megabits which who can live with 100 megabits of download anymore right i mean who can live with i mean i don't know how anybody makes it in this day and age without at least half a gig download speed just based on everything that's going on, but they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars on all this physical infrastructure um, for plans that were, I mean, we talked about it last week. I received that email uh, from uh, from the Arctic Slope telephone uh, uh, folks. Uh, you know, uh, uh, bragging about the fact that they had just gotten all this federal money and that they were going to do some matching and that they brought their prices down. And we looked at the pricing right here live on the air. We looked at the pricing and I mean, it, it was between it was between two hundred and five hundred dollars a month for I think the highest one was two hundred and fifty megs or something. Uh, or maybe it was five hundred megs for the four hundred dollar a month plan. And yet you have a company like Starlink, for example, which is providing people with, uh, you know, with hardware and then charging them $90 a month for the same service. Oh, and they didn't have to build out all of the infrastructure, lay the fiber optic cables and go through the tundra and, you know, hundreds of miles of physically connected stuff. and. And, and people are, are having great success with the Starlink system. And instead, we are just bound and determined to do it the government's way, which is, as usual, five times more expensive, takes longer, less reliable, and in the long run, takes all that money out of the private sector. Um, I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty astonishing. I mean, if you walked up with a 20 million dollar check to start uh, to Starlink and said, we want to buy X number of units at a discount and here's 20 million bucks. Do you think that they wouldn't cut you some kind of sweet deal on that? Do you think that you wouldn't get some kind of, you know, and, and we're not talking about trying to fill every house in some kind of Metroplex? With a Starlink unit, we're not talking about a city of a million people. We're talking about, you know, what a hundred thousand people who live out in the bush, who live off the grid, who live out in the rural communities. I mean, the amount of money that you could save on something like that is just uh, is just insane. But this is just another prime example of government trying to do. What it should, again, get out of the way and let the private sector do. That's that's the bottom line. Uh, And, of course, on top of that, it increases the. Effect of corporate cronyism. In the uh, you know, in the state of Alaska, we've talked about how we become a dependency state in the state of Alaska. Dependence not only on the social safety net with one third of our population. Two hundred and sixty something thousand people being on uh, some form of Medicaid or, uh, you know, government social uh, 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 medical welfare or something like that. But not just the social safety net, but on the other side of companies and corporations who are building their entire business model around those uh, around those uh, government spends. So it's completely. Um, you know, it's completely skewing the free market effect of all these different things. And, you know, what would have happened if we had had the billions of dollars, I mean, over the last eight years, seven, eight years, right, since since Walker first vetoed the PFD. Um, and he's taken, I mean, every year they take nearly a billion dollars a year out of the economy or more. Let's just average it out to a billion dollars. What could we have done in this economy with eight more billion dollars in the private economy? What could have that what could that have done? Not just again in the people who are going about and buying things at the local stores uh, or doing things like that, but again in the entrepreneurship of people pooling their money together to start a business. I mean, if you had a family of four and you got your four thousand dollars PF, your four thousand dollar PFD. You could have had a sixteen or twenty thousand dollar nest egg to start a business, instead of the nine hundred and eighty-seven dollar PFD that you got, that allowed you to, you know, basically it wasn't enough to do anything really strongly. So you bought tires for your car and put uh, and put uh, heating oil in the tank. Which again, before I moved down here to the South Central area, that's what we did every year whenever we got a dividend we used it we put you know new tires on a car we filled up the heating oil tank we put a few dollars away in case something happened or a car broke during the winter and that was it when the dividend really first started to grow and that was in 2014 that was the first year that we got some really solid dividend returns and we were getting checks of upwards of almost $3000 per person that's when we were able to put some of that money aside and say, we can use this to help. And I started a business in 2014. And at that point, you're like, you know, what could we do with it? Instead, the government saw that and said, "Ooh, that's we. Oh, we need that money. We need that money. And because we know better than you how to spend it. And that's, again, part of the whole problem here is that we've got a generation of folks who are in the legislature that believe that they know better than us how to spend that money. They believe that as long as the public economy is running strong and getting all the dollars that it needs, that the everything's fine, fine, just fine. It reminds me of the meme of the dog in the coffee house drinking his coffee while the coffee house is burning down around him. This is fine. And that's where we're at with this complete and total disconnect between the public and the private economy. Now, no other state in the union is facing this. Because no other state in the union uh, is receiving their revenue from outside of the private sector. They're in some way, whether it's a sales tax, an income tax, some other kind of, some other form of taxation is theft. They are receiving, at least they are tied to the private economy in that regards. In Alaska, they can just kind of do what they want to do. And that's why we've seen this growth out here. Now, you've got a couple choices on how you can do it. You could continue to fight this. Or you can, as one of my friends said, live off the enemy supply line. He was participating in some program getting a bunch of government money. And I said, dude, that's like totally antithetical to what you believe in. I mean, that's totally, he goes, look, it's happening. We can't stop it. I might as well live off the enemy supply line until they run out of money. And I'll just, you know, continue to benefit until then. And maybe that's it. Maybe you start a business that does nothing but service government uh, contracts. Maybe that's what you need to do. Um, I don't know if I don't think I could do that personally just because it just irritates me so bad. But maybe that's the answer. Maybe that's the answer for you and your family. Or maybe we continue to fight and maybe we bring more people on board and maybe we're able to do it. I don't know. I know that watching this session is definitely going to be educating. Uh, to see what happens this year But it doesn't look like, I mean it's off to a bang It's off with a, It's off to a huge start I don't know if it's going to uh, uh, If we're going to see anything good this year I've kind of braced myself To expect not great things Out of this session Maybe maybe the next go around I don't know uh, We'll see We'll be back with more of the Michael Duke Show Common Sense, Liberty Based Free Thinking Radio
0: listened to by more staffers in juno than any other show because their bosses told them to and after what they just heard oh man they're gonna be best you're a bad bad man the michael duke show
3: so fat ray over on youtube says junkies have to hit rock bottom before they can begin the healing process so will alaska damn I mean, that's not what I want to hear because I want to hear that we can pull up before we nosedive into the ground, right? I want to hear that we don't have to crash before we can rebuild the plane, kind of thing. Um, it's crazy. Uh, Brian says Rutro Michael Dukes is starting a business. He might. I started the business ten years ago. That was the thing. I started the business 10 years ago when we were, you know, that last year or so before we got some of those nice big dividend checks. That was part of my investment in ourselves. And we've been doing it for 10 years and it's working great. But we're not taking a bunch of government contracts. Maybe I need to rethink that. Maybe I should be out there just lying sideways in the public trough, wallowing around in all those big state dollars. Uh, You know, (laughs) maybe that's what it is. when I was a vendor at Lowe's, says Terry, when the PFD came out, the stores would be flooded with people from the villages buying fridges, saws, flooring to ship home. The money turned over in the local economy. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Just think about an additional eight billion dollars over the last eight years going into the local economies and what that would have done. I mean we're we're still on a continuous down. Not only do we have a continuous outflow cycle over the last eleven years, remember, we were in a recession and just barely starting to come out of it when the COVID hit. And we're still here today. We're still struggling. I mean, I want to say that this is all going to be great and everything's good and, and fine. And, and you know, And I think about buying other businesses or I think about starting another business and I'm like, oof, do I, oof, oh, do I, oh. I mean, is, is it going to work? I mean, I just don't even know. Just don't even know at that point. It's frustrating for to, to say the least. We're definitely going to need some Chris story here in a minute. We're definitely going to need that Chris story uh, to, uh, to to kind of even things out for us here, because it's frustrating to watch. As even you know, what Brad pointed out was was the, the the perfect point of you know as the the working population loss casts a long shadow. Everybody says the population loss is a huge thing. And then everybody proceeds to say how their plan is going to fix the population loss. The common thread amongst all those plans, they all require a significant expenditure of government money, of which we're already projecting deficits for the next 10 years. And they want to spend more. That's their answer. When we have a declining population, to keep people in the state, we need to spend more. How's that worked out for California? How's that worked out for New York? How's that worked out for all these other places? And yet what's going on in places like Florida and Texas, where people are all being received with open arms as they flee these other states that are so huge on government spending? What kind of state do we want to be? Apparently, a state of denial. That's, that's the kind of state we want to be right now. Um, all right. What else have we got here? Um, most people can't afford to buy a new house with the price of real estate and invest and interest payments. Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, we can't continue to we can't continue to ignore the you know the laws of arithmetic or mathematics. We can't continue to spend more than we take in, and expect that it's going to be okay. Again, the projections from the state themselves says that over the next ten years we're going to be running in deficits based just on a one of the most rosy projections of what the budget's going to look like over the next ten years as it is. Doesn't include any of this new spending that they want to put in now. Again, the answer is to any problem, the answer appears to be more government spending. That seems to be the answer to every problem that's out there. Well, we just need to spend more. Nobody ever asked the question of where does that money come from and who pays? That's a problem. All right. Um... Let's get back to it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. And now everybody's like, oh, man, you just stole my happy thought. What's up with it? I'm not trying to look. Maybe I'm trying to shock you a little bit. Maybe I'm trying to just bring it to your attention to look at it from another perspective. But again, as Brad pointed out in the last hour, you know, talking specifically about the working population loss. Alaska's working population loss casts long shadow over legislative session. And Brad makes the point that, you know, in this case, everybody then takes those numbers and tries to say, well, the reason that people are leaving is because of X. It's because of high energy costs. It's because of the lack of investment in schools, which, (laughs) oh my God, that's a whole show in and of itself. It's because of the fact that we don't have a we don't have a pension program for state employees. It's because, because, because. And the, the the commonality, the single thread that runs through all that is what is the solution? The solution is more government spending. Now, this is a problem that we're facing on the national level as well. No matter what happens at the national level, the answer is Uncle Sugar is always going to bring us the, the more money, the more programs, the more the government. Here's the problem. We've got a whole we're working on now, what, a second or third generation. That's basically being told at this point. That government is the solution to any problem. Now, maybe that's a maybe that's a, a painting with a very broad brush, but uh, to me, that's kind of the overarching theme of what we're seeing. Uh, when I went to high school, which was a million years ago, right? Uh, I mean, what am I? I'm close. We're getting close to, we're getting close to our class reunion here, or getting close to our forty year class reunion. Thirty six years now, or something, since I've been in high school. But even then. There was kind of a lot of discussion and lionization of government as how government fixed a lot of these things. Not not as much as what I saw later on, not as much as in some of the school books that I saw when my children were uh, being taught and now my children's children, my grandchildren are now being taught. So where are we? We're in the second generation. Of basically uh, of a people of, a, of, a, of a, a group of Americans who are basically being told that the government should take care of them from cradle to grave, that it's the government's responsibility to take care of many of these things, and that the answer to any problem is more, more, more government spending, M-O-A-R, more government spending. Nobody ever asks the question of okay great where does the money come from because at the national level what's happening right now well they're just printing money out of thin air they're inflating the dollar that's where the money's coming from they're borrowing it they're bar- you know they're, they're 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 wreaking monetary havoc long-term catastrophic monetary havoc on not just america but on the world and in the state of alaska They just basically consume, they're like locusts. They consume everything they can and then some. And when the PFD is gone here in the state of Alaska, then what are they going to do? But regardless of what's going on, the answer is always more. I would like to think that Alaskans, especially Alaskans, you know, especially those of us who were born and raised here, those who came from, you know, sturdy stock of the old pioneers and the gold miners. I mean, my my grandmother was born up towards Manley Hot Springs in 1914, 1916. I mean, my, I come from this is, you know, multiple generations of Alaskans. I like to think that we're a little more a little more independent minded, rugged individualist. We can do things our own way kind of people. But we're creating this whole dependency state where if it's not the social safety net, it's making, you know, becoming dependent on government largesse in the business side of the world. And unfortunately, that's not sustainable. It's just not. It's just not sustainable. But I mean, that's where we are. And those are the people that we keep sending back to our legislature time and time and time again. And we've changed out. I mean, going back to the Charter of Changes, uh, I mean, I I love the don't don't get me wrong. I love the idea of the Charter of Changes. Whoops, wrong one. I love the idea of the Charter of Changes. Of you know, changing the players, changing the changing the venue, changing the rules. I love all that idea, but we've already started that. We've changed out something like thirty percent of the uh, of the of the of the legislators there, and yet we continue to have the same problems. So maybe it's not just change the play. Maybe that doesn't have as big an effect as I had hoped when I wrote this up four years ago or whatever. We've changed some of the rules. I mean, we've got we brought out the fact that the binding caucus is so bad. But we haven't really changed the rest of the rules. Changing the venue is, I mean, I just don't even know if that's ever going to happen. I just don't know if we'll ever be able to hold legislative sessions and be part of it here on the road system. I just, I don't know if that's ever going to occur. But I think, you know, you need to look into, You need to look at your own kids or, in in some cases, your grandkids, and you need to sit down and have a conversation with them, especially if they're near the age of majority, to say, look, here's what you've been taught. That government is the answer to every to every problem. But here's the truth. They're not. You are the answer to If there's a problem out there, find a way to fix it. You want to be successful in life? Find a need, fill a need. Find a problem, solve the problem, and make your mark by doing so. But this continual look to go back to government hat in hand and say, please, please, sir, save us from ourselves, does nothing but make us more dependent and in the long run is unsustainable because there's just not enough. You know, if because we know that uh, what was the story that I saw the other day, Uh, it was reason and they were talking about the amount of taxes that were being taken um, and then passed back. It was basically you weren't robbing Peter to pay Paul. You were robbing Peter to pay Peter where people were getting taxes taken out and then they were receiving those taxes back in the form of revenues or subsidies or other things. And they said, but the problem is, of course, is that there's a cost to administering all that stuff. So you give $1,000 to the government, you only get $800 back because there was $200 or $300 that had to be taken up in the consumption of that. It's the same problem, even if all things being equal – And you just wanted to give your money to government and then they'd give you what you needed to survive. It would always be less because there's always a cost in administering all that stuff. We need to have a fundamental shift in mindset. And I just don't know if there's enough rugged individualists left to swing that tide. I don't. I would hope so. I hope so. I pray so, but I just don't know. Because there's a lot of people out there who are saying, oh, we need this, we need this equality and outcomes, and we need this thing. And you know, we ever we need to have this issue or that issue taken care of. And only government has the scope and size to do it. Of course they have to take your money to do it, but you know, it's oh I just don't know if there's enough in the mindset to fix that. I I again would like to think so. But I just don't know at this point if it's even possible. It's frustrating. Absolutely frustrating. All right. Um, You know what? We need some positivity here. We need some positivity. So let's, uh, let's bring Chris Story on here. Let's go to the break. And when we come back, we'll talk with Chris Story. He'll give us our... He'll give us our weekly uplift, our life coaching lesson, and uh, maybe we can we can leave on a positive note today. All right, let's go, let's go, let's go forward with it. All right, we got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, Free thinking Radio.
0: on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. You guys
3: are as rosy as I am. I'm positive that we're going to get le-screwed. <laughs> and then Teresa said, I've never even heard of this guy, Dave Hodges. I heard that Dave Hodges, the Common Sense Show, has a podcast about the plans to make the dollar go kaput. He has plans to make the dollar go kaput or other people do. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Until the walrus is gone, he who controls. You know, Mr. B- Mr. Bert. You know mr bs that was just bs that guy yeah until he goes nothing will change i i would agree that that's a big problem i would agree that's a huge huge problem um but this is a you know this is a this is watching the Alaska economy oh my God watching the Alaska economy is like the guy who jumped off a building and as he went past each floor people heard him say, so far so good <laughs> that's true. that is so true. but I mean that's you know this again is part of the problem I'll be honest, it's one of the reasons why we homeschooled our kids is because I didn't want our kids to be part of that whole thing where government was the answer to every to, to, to every problem. You know, I like it when my kids call me and say, hey, I've got this problem. How do I fix it? Help me, you know, help me figure out how to fix it. I would much rather have that than then go down to the local welfare office and say, I need something because I can't. I mean, right? I'd much rather have them problem solve it and troubleshoot it than then. But that seems to be the reaction to everything. Well, isn't that government's job? Isn't that government's job? No, government's job was to protect our national borders, to create some, you know, interior infrastructure and pretty much nothing else. But it has grown. The mission creep is so, so much. It's insane. Okay, well, I suppose we should get Mr. They call him Mr. Story. I guess we'll get him on the line here and we'll. I guess we'll do that. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, I got too many, got too many, too many things open here. Okay. There we go. Uh, Let's give him a call right now and see what he has to say.
2: Yeah. Look at that. Worked fine. I guess we'll do that. I mean, that couldn't have been less enthusiastic. Let's try that again.
3: I'm so excited to introduce to you the one the man the myth the legend in his own mind Chris story hello sir I,
2: all right keep 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 some powder dry for when we get on here I'm just saying I, uh, I mean what uh, kind of setup is I, that I, I guess we'll do I, that well, I good. guess all, I, you sounded like Eeyore
3: I just no ahead? no 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 Eeyore would be like well I guess we'll do that now I don't have anything <laughs> else to do so We'll bring this story (laughs) guy on, and maybe he can bring us back up on top of where we belong. Is that better? Seen any good movies lately? Um, Yeah, I haven't been watching a lot of movies. Uh, I just watched uh, Jack Reacher on Amazon Prime. Mm. That was good. Um, oh,
2: season, season two or season, season one?
3: Or? Season two, season two, which unfortunately okay. I did not like as much as season one. Season one was better. Um, I, Agreed. Actually,
2: Agreed. I
3: actually went back and watched a couple episodes of season one because I'm like, I think I like season one better. And then I watched the first yep. two episodes of season one and said, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, you mm-hmm. know, it's it's good. Yeah. It's good, clean entertainment. It's all a good, clean violence. Nothing like it. Um, <laughs> how about right. you? You watch anything good lately?
2: yeah i gotta tell you the swamp king's daughter was uh really a surprise there to me because i never never heard of it never seen a single yeah. trailer nothing watched it and uh was intrigued that's based on a
3: true story if i remember correctly um uh, or oh, maybe it's a book. Okay. Maybe it was a book. Anyway, yeah, interesting story. Uh, the Swamp King's Daughter. Mm-hmm. We talked about that with Willie Waffle here, I don't know, a year and a half ago mm. or something like that. So,
2: I'm um, behind.
3: Yeah. Well, no, that's fine. It's, you know, I, there's so many movies that I haven't watched and don't even care to watch. They're like, oh, Oppenheimer won so many nominations and Barbie. And I'm like, I haven't seen either one of them and I just don't know if I will. Um. All right. Uh, I discovered as I get older, Chris, that I feel like i'm partitioning my time out because i've only got so many hours left <laughs> I'm like do i really want to spend two hours watching barbie no okay um anyway mm. what's uh what's the story for today what are we what are we getting what's the edumacation plan for today shadow without a doubt shadow without a doubt is that right mm. did i did i say that yes, right? yes
2: clever yes all right. Yes, you did, my friend. Okay. Yes,
3: you did. All right. Shadow, without a doubt. We're going to put him back on hold, Mr. Story. Just stay right there. We'll be right back to you. Okay, folks. Uh, like, share, subscribe, ring the bell, do all the stuff. Um, the more you do, the more people will get in here. I don't know. I'm just going to keep saying it every day. I, I stopped saying it for quite a while, but now I'm just going to say it all the time. Like and subscribe. Wherever you are, you can like it. You can subscribe or follow. You can ring the bell. You can do all that stuff. It's what brings more people into the uh, into the show. Here we go.
0: Public enema number one. Oh wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which uh, makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the. Uh, Michael Duke show. I am not. Uh, well, maybe a little bit. Uh,
3: all right. Uh, we're back. Um, and Chris Story is our guest. I love Homer the host of On Top of the World Radio. Uh, he's the author of the book, The Backyard Millionaire. Uh, he's got the guy wears a million hats. He's realtor of the millennium or something for the state of Alaska. And uh, he does a little bit of everything. Um, and today uh, he's going to do, give us a little bit of life coaching and uplift uh, with uh, the idea and the theme of shadow. Without a doubt, which, uh, what? I just, that doesn't seem like a complete sentence, but we'll let him explain it. Good morning, Mr. Story, sir.
2: Well, you've, you've heard of Pat, that David, I assume, affectionately known on the internet as PBD. I, what? No. PBD? PDB? (laughs) No, PDB? PBD. that that David, he was asked, trust me, he sold his business recently for a couple hundred million dollars. He was uh, in the insurance business. He's moved into the entertainment slash uh, news business. Anyway, he was asked recently in London during an interview what advice he'd give to anybody wanting to start a business. And he said something that I think is pretty fascinating because this word keeps coming up in my life. And when I hear or read a word, or it just keeps coming up, I pay attention to it, it means something. He said, I would shadow a leader in that business for 18 to 36 months. And I thought, that's that's absolutely fascinating advice in this day and age. He didn't talk about learning, uh, he didn't talk about going out and getting into crypto, he didn't talk about going to your banker immediately and going into debt or getting the lines of credit, secured or on, he didn't talk about any of that, he said, Find something you want to do and shadow the leader in that business. And again, I think that's incredible advice because before you borrow a single dollar, borrow somebody else's expertise, experience, follow, shadow them, do as they do, or learn what you'd never do and learn from their success, but maybe also learn from behind the scenes exactly what you'd do differently. And I'll give you an example of this in my own life. Uh, In real estate. I shadowed a a magnate. I shadowed somebody who was arguably one of the most successful people you've ever met in real estate. He started his empire, by the way, at age 55. And when I met him, he was in his early 80s. He owned nearly 2,000 apartment units, motels, restaurants, and much more. And we shadowed him. We had an opportunity to manage a building he owned, and we exchanged our time for rent so the rent was covered but also we exchanged our time for learning and shadowing him for years we did that for seven years uh, several years longer than we ever thought we would have and probably beyond what we needed to because at some point we you know we had what we were going to take away from that relationship and it just became comfortable so we stayed a little longer than probably necessary but we learned so much we considered that like almost a phd did property management, acquisition, real estate valuation, people, human behavior, psychology. It was fascinating. And we learned a great deal about what we'd not do once we owned our own properties and how we would treat people or not treat people. So shadow, without a doubt, shadow somebody doing something that is what you would like to do. Because when you're done shadowing, if you follow PBD's advice, go 18, 36 months, you may find in there you want to swerve you want to get away from that you realize that's not for me i right, thought right. being a lawyer. i thought being a liar was like what i saw on la law did
3: you say liar did you say law. did you say liar or lawyer
2: it's a combination lawyer if you say it lawyer like you're in the south you can kind of work in that ethic liar liar you know mm-hmm. liar <laughs> you thought
3: being what a lawyer was about you thought that was the end-all be-all you wanted to be a lawyer at one point
2: Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, much of my childhood, I thought that for sure I was going to enter law. And, and of course, if you actually shadow a lawyer, you, you, paperwork, oh, my goodness, paperwork and research. And it's boring. It's absolutely boring. A few few lawyers, of course, make their living in the courtroom and, and uh, are, are stage performers as much as they are anything else. But the reality is, if you shadow somebody doing something that you'd like to do, you're going to be far better off than even probably. Uh, most university educations.
3: The pro, I guess I, I would agree with that because, you know, they always say, you know, the, the old adage is experience is the best teacher. They never tell you the other half of that, which is especially if it's somebody else's experience. Right. If I see somebody put their hand on a hot stove, I know not to put my hand on that hot stove. And I didn't even have to go through the pain. So experience is the best teacher, especially when it's somebody else's experience. But I guess my question is, and this is just a practical question, this is the first thing that came to mind when you were talking about that, is how do I go, if I'm going to go into business, a business, whatever it is, making widgets or whatever, how do I go to the widget king and say, I'd like to shatter you for 12 to 18 months?
2: I gave notice. I called the owner of the apartment building and said, your manager is an alcoholic. Your manager came to my door drunk and uh, verbally accosted my wife when I was at work. We are moving out effective immediately and we're breaking our lease and I dare you to try to hold me to it. And he said, and I quote, you want the job? I was like, oh, sure. So it was happenstance, but it taught us a great lesson in that when you look for an opportunity, you'll find it sometimes even when you're not looking become mindful of, of your, your surroundings. And you just ask people, for example, I'll, I'll give you another example from my own life, which is all I can share. Cause he's writing his
3: biography radio. right now. Let me give you another example from my own life, rich and famous. as Chapter, it is.
2: chapter two. Uh, when I started in radio, I worked for free. I got to shadow legends of this business that had gone to college and gone to engineering school and, and gone to uh actually had training and not just training but 30 plus years experience i got to shadow people like dave becker who built this entire statewide network tim white dave webb eventually i got to meet hosts and managers of stations in anchorage and getting guest opportunities to guest host uh, which led to them paid gigs and we now have our own production company 16 years later so shadow without a doubt for me, in that case, was about the education. I went for the relationship and the education, and eventually the money would follow. So, anytime you chase the knowledge, money will follow, and it's about relationships. I'll give you one more example, Michael. Guess from whose life? uh From yours. Yes. Oh, see, you're getting the hang of this. I reached out to a New York <laughs> Times best-selling author yesterday. I've had him on my program as a guest in the past, and I reached out to him, and I said, "Is there any way I could?" In- have a deep conversation with you. And I just laid out exactly what I wanted to do. So there was no punches pulled. I went into this eyes wide open, so he'd understand exactly what I was asking from him. And he said, absolutely. And we've set a time up to speak and have a deep conversation about this world that I'm entering into in the mysteries thriller genre. And so it's asking, being willing to ask, because when you put that monster ball out there, it may or may not come back. It may be a hard no. It may be a, I don't have time for you. It may be a no response, which is a response. I'll right. give you another example. I'm really a big fan of Rich Dad Poor Dad, written by Robert Kiyosaki. And do you know whose co author is? No. Sharon Lecter. She co authored all 15 of their number one best selling books, over 45 million books sold. I reached out to Sharon Lecter and said, I'd love an opportunity to share your wisdom, your words, your experience with my radio audience. She's a guest on my program Friday. Well, I'm interviewing her Friday. She'll be a guest of my program a week from today. And so it's about asking. It's about just putting yourself in the way of this opportunity by asking to shadow somebody and telling somebody what your right. hope and dream is. Is there any way I could get a part-time job with you? Could I just volunteer on the weekends to help with your right. business, campaign, uh, contracting business, whatever it is?
3: Don't ask, you don't get, right? And I think sometimes mm-hmm. in my experience, because I've done this a few times where I've asked for advice or guidance from people who I respect who are in industries or in a in an endeavor that I have an interest in. And I've done the same thing where I've asked very politely, can I get some advice on this from your again, your sage wisdom? I mean, we're not we're not we're not sugarcoating it, but you know, basically saying you have the experience and I would love to tap into that. Um, and I found that actually most people, and of course we're not talking about big f- corp, you know, Fortune 500 companies or anything, but that most people are more than willing. If you take an interest in what they're doing and you tell them that you admire them and you admire what they've done and you'd like to pick their brain, more than likely they are—they're not selfish. They're not like, oh no, only I can do this and I'm not going to share it with anybody. They are generally more than willing to uh, to to share those ideas with you.
2: Larry King's best friend all through grade school and high school and beyond for the rest of his life was Herb Cohen, Herb Cohen's world famous negotiator. He negotiated for President Reagan, uh, tried to help negotiate with President Carter. Carter wouldn't listen to him, hence the hostages didn't come home until Reagan was elected. But he was just a world famous negotiator. Um, He's more or less retired now, but Herb Cohen was an icon in the industry and a big influence of my life. And I said, you know. I'm going to reach out to him. I reached out to him and I left a voicemail and a phone number that I found on the internet. And within minutes, the New York, New York number was calling me back. And I said, it couldn't be, could it? It was the legend himself, Herb Cohen. I went on to interview him two different times, simply for having picked up the phone, taken a chance, started by sharing what he's done for me in my life and thanked him profusely. And then just said, if I had an opportunity to speak with you, it would be the honor of my life. And he he accepted, and again, twice we've been uh, sharing time. He gave me over an hour each time, simply for having asked and taken the risk. Because when you go to shadow without a doubt, you're risking rejection. Well, as a born salesman, well, trained salesman, but a, a born to sell is what I think I was. I I'd face rejection every single day, every single day. This conversation right here, I face rejection from some of your audience who says, Man, get back to the politics, would you? Well, I'll give you an example of that. We'll go back to the politics. Who would you rather shadow? Who would you rather your next Alaskan governor shadow? Governor Newsom running the official toilet of America? If America had an anus, we all know it'd be California. Okay, (laughs) would you rather your next governor shadow him or Ron DeSantis? Right. Do as success does. I'd rather they shadow Ron DeSantis. How could we improve upon our own state by simply having somebody willing to go shadow, to go learn from somebody who's already done it and been very successful.
3: I mean, it's again, it's a valid uh, I, I think it's definitely a valid idea. And if you have any inclination of moving into any business or industry or endeavor or starting your own business, I think you could do worse than than making a few phone calls and asking the question. Again, I think unless it's like I said, some Fortune 500 company that, you know, has got a million layers of bureaucracy between you and the guy you want to talk to, you'll probably have some success in that.
2: And by the way, I, I was sort of mischaracterizing the quote from Nelson DeMille, who said in one of his books "If the world had an anus, it would be Yemen. So I, right. I just adopted and co-opted that sentence <laughs> for uh, for America.
3: I see you're trying to justify your your crass your crass uh, statement. There. Uh, yeah, I just
2: didn't want to pretend that it was my idea. Yeah. It's a great one.
3: No, it is a great one. Now that you've mentioned it, you know, the next time you could say, as I've always said, uh, or as someone, uh-huh. there's a there's the there's the hierarchy, right? The first time you have to quote the person that you're quoting, oh, as so and so always said. And then the next time it says, as somebody has always said, and the third time you could say, as i as I've always said. That's that's the uh that's the thing you can do that. Um all right, uh final thoughts. Lesson 60. Give me give me your final thoughts here, Chris.
2: Success in any area, any walk of your life is about who you become in the process, not what you get. So if you go to give, you can't help but get. If that's go to give from mentors, people that you want to shadow, become more attractive in the marketplace of ideas, and the world and it will flow back to you
3: you know these people have probably all had mentors and in many ways they're probably paying it forward i would imagine that many of these people had mentors that did the same thing for them even if they don't talk about it uh, i would imagine that that's the case uh chris story thank you my friend i appreciate it uh hold the line we'll be right back to you here just for one quick second at the end folks we're out of time tomorrow well, Mike Schauer is not going to join us till Thursday, so we'll see what happens tomorrow. It may just be me and you. The Michael Luke Show, Common Sense Radio. Uh, what, what do you think, Chris? I mean, how many people do you think out there that have that are mentoring people right now? or, you know, allowing them to shadow or giving advice, how many of them had somebody in their life that did exactly the same thing and they got to feel like this is just paying it forward?
2: Oh, probably 80% to 98%. And when you quote statistics, it's all about the confidence with which you use in the statement. So I'd say I'd say 98%, Michael, assuredly. Studies show.
0: <laughs> but also show? You,
2: can, you can get a lot of mentorship. I should have said this uh, on air, but I'll say it here to your, your uh, third hour group mentorship can come in the form of reading biographies one of the greatest i've read several biographies about Abe Lincoln. i think he's one of our most fascinating presidents i didn't find anything uh corollary to president obama's life as as was characterized in 08 I, i just don't see the corollary however my favorite biography was written by dale carnegie yep the man who would influence and win friends in the 30s. He also wrote a biography of Abraham Lincoln. It's the most human you'll ever see Abe in his life. It's a fascinating, fantastic book. And I feel like Abraham Lincoln at once has sort of been a mentor to me as well, as well as Dale Carnegie in yeah. his works, Napoleon Hill and yeah. James Allen and go on and on. So bio- yeah. biographies are incredible way to get mentorship
3: as well. absolutely i would agree with that 100 percent. all right mr story thank you so much i appreciate you coming on board we'll talk to you again next week
2: all right michael take care
3: thank you all right folks that's it for today we're gonna to peel out of here be kind love one another live well we'll see you uh tomorrow huh the michael Luke show common sense liberty based free thinking radio uh, we'll see well i don't know who's going to be here tomorrow but we'll figure it out then have a great day